Good morning. I'm going to try to put a smile on my face to mask the nervousness that I always get when I come up there and looking at all you folks. Thank y'all so much for, oh, there we go. Thank y'all so much for having me this morning. Luke, thanks for allowing me to speak. Um, I can't thank Luke and the pastors and all the people at Legacy for showing me so much love, uh, being so gracious to me in spite of my sin and and who I am as a man. Uh, Now, as we conclude uh, this last week of the Advent series, um, through the prophecy of Isaiah, um, I I can't help but to acknowledge the effort of uh, Jay, um, uh, Luke, and Randy for getting up here and explaining to us Uh, what this child means to us and how he's so important. He is a mighty God, a wonderful counsel, and an everlasting father. He is what we need in order to be back in harmony with God. Now, my job today is to inform you of this final name that Isaiah gives him, and it's the Prince of Peace. Now, when I hear the word peace, I definitely don't look around me, and I think all of us don't look around us and see a bunch of peace, um, especially in this time, uh, what's going on with the world, the virus, and things of that nature. So I want to ask the question, how does Jesus being the Prince of Peace, how, did it, how does it affect you? How does it affect how you look at the virus, right? How does it affect how you look at the politics that's going on and all the division that we are experiencing right now. How, how does it affect you if you've lost a loved one during it? How does it affect you if you've lost a loved one in general? There's a, there's a, a guy, there's a, a guy that I know, and I'm not going to say his name, but he's from the town that I'm from, from Rockwood, Tennessee. One tragic night, um, his, he had a daughter and a son. One tragic night, they're driving, just, just driving. And uh, if you don't know Rockwood, it has a, a railroad that goes through it. Well, at that railroad, they didn't see the train. Something tragic happened. Um, she deceased. The, the son lived, but she deceased. Now, I want to bring attention not just from the tragedy because we deal with tragedy every day. It's not, you know, everybody's, there's, there's always somebody dying, there's always something bad going on. But his response in particular was what I took heed to. He said something when somebody had asked him how he felt about what happened in his daughter. Now, obviously, a man who loses their daughter or loses anyone that they love, there's going to be sadness, there's going to be crying, there's going to be uh, just this uh, question that we ask, why? Why would you do this? But his response in particular wasn't that. And I'm sure he felt the pain of it. But he said when they asked him, how do you feel about this? And his response was, I'm just thankful I got to spend 18 years with my daughter. Now, if that 
doesn't move you to where Jesus was so much in his life. He understood that the life itself, that he got to enjoy 18 years as opposed to saying, well, I'm mad, I'm upset, and I'm angry. With Jesus, this man showed people the gospel, showed that this Prince of Peace, who is Jesus, that he was enough. And I just wanted to start off with that story because, man, can you imagine us, us being depraved, having the opportunity to tell people about the gospel in spite of our tragedies, in spite of the stuff that we've been through. Now, at one point in time, early in the beginning, when God made the creation, everything was good, right? Everything was perfect. You know, one of the, the terms that the, old, the Hebrews used to use, which we don't use anymore, is called shalom, which essentially means peace. Um, and so this peace, um, it has a bunch of different meanings in, in the Hebrew. And then uh, in Greek, it's uh, arene. Did I say that right? I think I said that right. And there's a bunch of definitions, but, but more than a definition, shalom is meant as an idea. It's an idea that everything was everything. Everything had a purpose. Everything was meant to be where it was supposed to be. Everything functioned the way it, it's supposed to function. Everything was just perfectly made. In Genesis 1.31, God says, um, and God saw all he made, and it was very good. And God looks at his creation, and he just rests. Everything as, was as it intended. Matter of fact, the relationship between us and God was perfect. There was no sin. Everything was great. We were just chilling. We didn't have to do what we have to do in order to make things happen. God had everything that we needed in that moment. In a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a guy named Cornelius Pantiga, he writes what shalom is. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice and fulfillment and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be, full of flourishing human life, in all, all aspects as God intended it. Now that sounds great. If we were to put a picture, right? Me and my wife did this the other day. I was explaining what that was and what that looks like. And she sat back and was like, man, wouldn't that be nice? Picture your own shalom with God. Picture peace with God with everything flourishing and everything right. Obviously, we know that story doesn't continue. We decide to take it upon ourselves to listen to the serpent. 
who entices us to be God instead of be under God. Okay? We all know this story. Countless stories throughout the scriptures where uh, we're all trying to find this peace. And God promises this peace in Genesis 3. He says, there's going to be somebody to crush the serpent. He's going to crush him. Right? I'm going to send this offspring or this child to crush the serpent once and for all so I can be back in relationship with you guys. Now that is a promise. Right? This is the promise that we see. It comes up. And this is the promise that Isaiah gives. We're, we're all designed to have peace. We want that peace. Right? So we're looking for it. Continually, we're looking for it. Not just in the Old Testament you see it, but now our lives, we look for that peace. We look for peace in a lot of things. The world is extremely sick. We're extremely sick. And we need this. We need this prescription of peace in the, in the life of this child to be born. In Isaiah, the child has come. He's here. He's for us. He is the answer. The stars aligned. The prophecy has came about. And the child is born. And think of the excitement of that. For, for us to be promised something, right, think about if you get the opportunity to have children, uh, whether you're adopting or they're born uh, through you, think of the anticipation. This is what I think of when I see this. I see this anticipation of, of there's nine months, right, or there's months in between the adoption, and, and then that baby's here. The anticipation, the excitement that we have is what I know, that all these people who were promised this baby are experiencing right now. Now, as I was studying this Prince of Peace and what he means, I have to, I had this story came about uh, that I want to, um, as I was studying, this, this story came into my mind. And I, I want everybody, if they can, to turn to Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. All right. So, 35 starts. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he, as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? 
Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? Now, along with several other questions I'm going to ask you, I want you to think about your storm and what is your storm. And on top of that, is this Prince of Peace worthy to be trusted in the midst of your storm? Now, visualize with me for a moment. Now, this is a picture of Rembrandt. Um, this, I don't know if you can look at that, but that looks scary to me. Like, could you imagine us being there? I would lose it. I'd be barfing all over the place. I wouldn't know what to do. Even if I, you know, because I've been on a boat before, and just looking at the sea gives me anxiety because there's nothing out there. So you're just, you know, alone. And if you're off the boat, man, you're pretty, I mean, just looking at that, if you fall off a boat like that, you, uh, essentially, I would think I would die. I don't know that I would be able to, to, um, to make it through that. That looks really scary, right? But just imagine us, put yourself there. Uh, um, now, I, I know what goes through our minds. So if we're going through something like that, I say to myself, well, well, hold on a second. How can I stop this boat from sinking? I've got to do something, right? So, so the peace that I find is I try to find it within myself first. I'm thinking, hold on a second. I'm the man. I can stop this boat. That's what we do. We look at ourselves first, right? We try to find peace for ourselves first. I, I, I can do this. And there are tons of ways that we find peace, right? We search for this and that, right, in, in, in different things. Um, uh, I know that a lot of people, not myself, but uh, I have at one point in time used yoga, Yoga is really peaceful, and it helps me stretch, and I feel like a new man. It gives me this little type of, you know, ump in my step. I like it. Uh, I don't do it anymore because it's hard, though. It's just hard. I don't like doing it. Um, and I, I, but I know some people in different religions, they don't just use it as that. They use it as a means of an inner power. Right, and so so people that you have a bunch of celebrities uh, that 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 do this uh, Hindu in particular, they are there's a lot of celebrities that do it, and then we follow celebrities and think, oh well, yoga maybe can give me an inner peace, right? If if Tiger Woods can have an inner peace and Jennifer Aniston can have a peace with his yoga, maybe this is something that I can do to give me an inner peace. But we know that that's not the inner peace we need. We need Christ. That's our redeeming peace. What about even in this uh, Chris, Christmas time? Uh, we, we, we find peace in, in shopping, uh, better known as retail therapy. Uh, we, we do that a lot, right? We, we go and, and I'm having a bad day. You know what, Pff, man, I need some new own shoes. Those are my favorite, but they're very expensive. But it will give me peace, right? I'm having a bad day. Let me get some, let me get some peace with these on shoes. 
I looked up a statistic or a monetary uh, a thing that uh, from ABC it says Americans will spend about four hundred and sixty-five billion dollars on shopping this year. Now, don't you think some people are trying to find peace in that? Right? That's a big deal. That's a lot of money, matter of fact. And they even said that it could possibly create, if we brought that money here, it could create 4.6 million jobs here. So, retail therapy, shopping won't find you peace either. Then we have people, uh, 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 peace, we find peace in maybe our jobs that we can lose at any moment. Um, I've said it before, and I know people who walk with me are tired of hearing it, but I do not have peace in my job. I work the night shift, and I'm not a vampire, so it's really hard for me to stay up at night and then sleep in the morning. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. I was at work the other day, and (laughs) something weird happened. I look, I have a camera in my front yard, and it's a a ring camera. It kind of comes with the alarm system. And when I look in the camera, I'm thinking, hold on a second. What is that? Well, it looks like a face. A face in my camera. You talking about anxiety, son. I'm like, yo, that's a face. So I go, I get up out the booth, I go and I start walking, I try to find somebody to say, hey man, do you see this, do you see this? And I bring it to my buddy and he says, he says, what are you talking about? I said, man, can you not see that right there? That looks like a face. And so, so he said, well, I guess it kind of does. I'm like, kind of? I mean, we know what a face looks like, right? <laughs> so then I call my wife, who's sound asleep. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, by the way. She's sound asleep, and I said, Sam, I see a face. And she's like, what? You know, of course, she loses it, right? She's like, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I know my wife, and so she's like, oh, you know, and she's probably, uh, I'm probably worse than she is, but I was like, she was like, well, did you call the cops? And I was like, no, I called you first to wake you up. She's like, call the cops. So I called the cops. They come over, and you would think I would have a sense of peace. But, but the thing was, is after I hung up the phone, I tried to look back up on the camera, and it disconnected. And I was like, oh, no. Are you kidding me? So now I'm, trying to, I'm about to call the cops, but now I can't. I, I call the cops, and now I can't even... I can't even see if there's somebody there. And so now I'm definitely not at peace, right? I'm like, I'm about to lose it, son. I'm about to go. So then finally, cop calls me and says, hey, man, we've scoured the place. Everything's fine. Everything's good. You're good to go. Then the dang face comes back on there because now it's connected again. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I go up to my boss, and I said, look, Craig. 
I'm worried. I need, okay, no, I said, I, I said, I'm worried. Look at this camera. He, and I said, what does that look like to you? He said, it looks like a face. <laughs> so then I said, I got to go. See you later, buddy. I call in and I go and I find my wife and kids. And they're all saying, of course, I'm creeping up just a little bit to see what's happening, right? I don't, I don't want to have to, conf, you know, confrontation. I don't want to have to beat nobody up or anything like that. My gun's in the house and I can't get to it. So I'm like, okay. So I take my time and I get there. Well, I go in front of the camera, right, to see what's going on. Like, okay. I see this thing right here, but then the camera, so I go in front of the camera, and I look at the camera on my phone. It's a bush. A bush? I have no peace. My anxiety's through the roof. My wife can't sleep. I just woke her up, and it's a bush. On the way there, I'm praying to God, God, give me peace with this. But I just could not get there. I could not get there. Now, I had to tell that story because of how ridiculous I was that night. But if I was to really trust in Christ in that moment, I would say, it's okay. I have peace, and I, I trust that God's going to take care of my family. Now, if we go back to the painting, boom. So now, now, obviously I can't trust myself, right? So now, what do we do? We got other men in the boat, other, other disciples are in the boat, and now they're going to look to each other to fix this thing, right? So they're going to look at, to each other to fix this issue. While Jesus is in there sleeping, while I don't know how he's sleeping while this is going on, apparently he's peaceful. But these guys aren't, and so they're going to look to themselves to try to fix this boat, right? Instead of, you know, um, um, asking, you know, how we can, I can do it, now they're asking how we can do it. In a world that says we can do it, and I think about all the commercials and the, especially during this Christmas time, there's a lot going on, but everybody has these messages and it says, uh, let's, uh, in a world, uh, let's end racism, let's end sexism, let's end all isms. Um, do we honestly think that we can do that? Right? That, that's the question I, I want to ask. Uh, we, we have sex trafficking. We have, we have so many issues. And I think when we look, you know, at each other and be like, we can fix them, I don't believe we can. But God can. Right? This is what the gospel prompts us to do. And in spite of us knowing that we can't fix it, God gives us something, a peace, that we'll be able to maybe not fix it altogether because this world is not meant to be fixed forever. Uh, God is going to bring another world. But, but while we're here, this is what the gospel prompts us to do. To not only engage in all those different isms, but to give peace to people who are, who are struggle and deal with those isms. 
of those things like racism and things. We can have that peace to talk to people about this Jesus who gives us peace in spite of all this mess. What about peace with spouses, right? Or, or your perspective relationships or relationships. Are, are you looking for peace within a person? Because I can tell you right now, it ain't going to happen. Uh, if my wife was looking for any sort of peace, it would not be with me. I am the most unpeaceful person she's probably ever met because I'm crazy. There's something wrong going up in this brain. But thank you, Jesus, he saved me. So I think we can, we can look at each other, right, and, and think that somebody's going to give us this peace. Uh, my wife could never give me the peace that Jesus has given me. She, she says uh, 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 that uh, we go through and we want to control Right? Surely I can control Sean. Right? No. No. I am too unpeaceful for that. You will not control me. And that is set a precedent for our relationship. So not only do I understand that I'm not going to find peace with her, she's not going to find peace with me. And that makes for a beautiful relationship. Now, as we see the disciples... They can't keep the boat from sinking for themselves, like, or personally, or collectively. So, this Prince of Peace that Isaiah alarms us about, who is Jesus, they say in verse 38, the disciples do in verse 30 and 39, says, they wake him up, they say, Jesus, do you not care that we die? He wakes up and says to them, peace, be still. And then there was a great calm. He then asked the question, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, he's that answer, right? And, and, and then he points out their heart. He points out that they're not seeing rightly at this moment. They can't trust themselves, but they can come to him And they can trust him because he so graciously, as Jake talked about a couple weeks, he he mentioned this storm and the the powerfulness of it. As we saw in that picture, it was raging. And, And Jesus in his power says, peace, be still. Now that's how powerful and mighty God is. To be able to do something like that. But not only that, you see, there's a bigger storm brewing in our hearts. A bigger story, uh, a storm brewing in our minds. You see, before we will reconcile with God, we're enemies. In Romans 8, 7, it says, for the mind is that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to law, God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, this is why it's so significant, right? 
He is that peace offering between us and God. He sent his son to atone for our sin. Another story, which is really, really similar, uh, uh, is in Jonah. If you don't know the story of Jonah, uh, most of you do, it's uh, Jonah and the whale. But it's a real similar story. The, uh, Jonah, his call to Nineveh to call out all the evil. It says, God says, come here. Uh, I need you to go to Nineveh to call out the evil. Well, uh, Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. They'll probably kill me. Uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. So then he goes his, and he does his own thing. He gets on a boat with a bunch of men. <clears throat> and he, he goes to Tarshish. But then God, because of Jonah's disobedience, he brings up a big storm. When the storm comes, all these dudes are doing the same thing that the disciples did. And they says, hey, man, can we fix this? We've got to call out to our God. We've got to call out to our God. Who is that God? Maybe it's within us. Maybe it's within each other. Maybe that's the, uh, the God that we need to call out to. But Jonah has another God. And Jonah, matter of fact, even tells them that there's another God. And he, he says the reason that this storm is the way it is is because of me. And so they're like, do you not, do you want us to die? And he says, no, I'll tell you what to do, throw me out. Right, that's another, that's a picture of what we see in Mark 4. It's the same thing, okay? Now, Jonah isn't Jesus, but Jesus is better, right? We see Jonah as that type of Christ or that story that shows that we need the Lord. We need Jesus. Now, as, as a result of this hostility uh, between God and his people, it is now severed with Jesus, this Prince of Peace. We are now free in Christ, free from trying to find peace with ourselves and others. Now, I know Christmas time for the world means buying gifts, as I mentioned earlier. It it says spend tons of money that you don't have. Now, there are a lot of good things that come with Christmas. I think there's characters, there's, there's time for enjoyment, right? But, but Christmas to us means something different. Christmas to us is this child being born, the nativity scene. The, um, the enjoyment of, the, of being able to be saved, of salvation coming in the form of a baby to grow up as a man, to die sin that we deserve to die and to rise again so that we get to live in Christ, so that our sins are atoned for, so that we are cleansed, so that we will be back with God. Jesus is the better Jonah, and he has came to take back what is rightly his, and that's his family. In John 14, 27, he says to his disciples, 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So there's a clear distinction of what it means for us to trust in peace with Christ and peace with the world. Because the world, the world that the peace gives is not everlasting. It's short term. It's not really going to fulfill us. If we think about our life and what we've been through and the things that we have found fulfillment in, they only last for a minuscule uh, point in time. It's not everlasting, and that's what we need. That's what's missing, this Prince of Peace. Two, I remember two different, two different stories. I'll, I'll try to keep them short, but um, I had peace. So I, I experienced peace uh, when I, uh, before I found Christ. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I was in a, um, I know there's too many kids in here. I'll, I'll try to keep it light. But I was involved in some drugs. Okay? And at one point in time, I was by myself, and I was uh, in the process of an overdose. In that process, I felt my life flashing before me. But, but I did something that I, if you asked me to do it again, I probably would have never did it again, but I called out to God. Now, this is before he became anything to me. But I, but I said to him, I said, God, I know you're real. I don't serve you. I don't love you. But if you could, please, calm me down. Please. I'm begging you. And I prayed for about five minutes. And through his love, in spite of who I was, he calmed me down. And I know it was him. You know why? Because what else would have calmed me down? If you don't know anything about drugs, you just don't calm down like that. There was something bigger than me. There was something that I saw was real. And in spite of me, not even following him after that, he still loved me. So anybody who's going through any type of struggle, no matter what it is, God's there. And he loves you. I can promise you that. Now, this is a little bit of a different piece. We were coming from Oklahoma. And this is when I was a believer. It was actually not too far from, it was very recent. We were coming from Oklahoma. And, and there's this shaming thing or this issue with masks, right? Uh, some, you know, there's a, there's a disagreement somewhere, right? There's a disagreement between people. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. We're okay. We can disagree and we can talk about it. Well, this one guy in particular, me and my son were in the gas station, minding our own business. Now, we didn't have our mask on. Uh, and there were several people who didn't, but there were some that did. And a guy walks behind me as my sons are washing their hands, and he said, where's your mask? And I look back, and I'm like, do I know you? <laughs> now, I'm in Jackson, Tennessee, which I know I don't know him. 
So I'm thinking, dude, what's your deal? And so he, he asked me again, and I say, it's in my pocket. I leave because at this point, and I explained this to some people, you know in the cartoon where there's a thermometer and it raises up red and then there's a burst, right? That was what was going on in me at that moment. But I said, kids, let's go, let's go, and let's go out to the car. Well, we get out to the car, of course. My wife has the key, so I'm sitting there waiting. Of course, the man comes right by, right? And he says, you do it for them. <laughs> the whole point of me telling you that is, is that while he was questioning who I was as a father, who he was questioning, he was questioning my freedoms, right? But I had peace. Yeah, I was a little upset for a second. But God has done something radical within me. And it's that peace that we seek, right? So my question uh, today is, are you willing to trust him? Are you, will, are you willing to believe in the Prince of Peace that he will calm your storm when things aren't great? As a result of that, are you content with the trusting uh, power that he has, that the Lord has? Look at Philippians uh, 4, 11, 13. Because I think this peace that he gives us gives us a sense of contentment. That no matter what's going on, no matter what we're doing, that we can be content. No matter what's going on in the world with the war, with the way uh, people look at us, you know, the, 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 the way we um, interact with others, that, that in spite of all that, we can still be content and have peace. Philippians 4, thir- uh, 4 11 through ter- 13, 13. 13 says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I know some people butcher that um, scripture and talk about how they're strong, but that's not what he's talking about. Let's just be content, and we can be content because he gives us that peace. And then we're called to be peacemakers, right? As a result of this peace, we bring peace to others. Uh, An example of this is with my dad. I love my dad. He's He's a heck of a man, but me and him have went through a lot. We've went through a lot. I've had a lot of anger. I've had a lot of resentment. And I've had a lot of um, strife with my daddy. Now, I I know some people in here probably have problems or issues with their parents as well. But as a result of the peace that God has given me, me and my dad have been reconciled. One day I went to my dad. And I went and apologized to him for what I've done. I no longer looked at my dad and said, Dad, you're the problem. 
No, I saw that there was a problem within me. And that it was as a result of what Christ had done in my life, I needed to reconcile with my dad. I needed to make peace with the world. Okay? In the world, that my dad was a part of that. And so if I can express anything to you, it's not only just to be able to receive that peace, but be that peace. Right? The Holy Spirit is working inside of you. If you are a Christian and you are a believer, he is working inside of you to be that peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want to be a children of God. I am a children of God. And so let's be that peace. Let's wake up. Let's put the pride aside. And let's be what the world needs. Because if we look like the world, then we're probably of the world. But if we, if we exude, if we push a peace that is everlasting and that it's in us, and people see it, they're going to wake up and say, hey, I want that peace. That's what we should be doing. That's how we should look. That's how we should feel. That in the midst of everything that's going on, Christ has done something in us that gives not only us peace, but being able to push it to the world. Because that's what the world needs. It's definitely what we need, but it's definitely what the world needs. So let's bring people that God has ordained from the beginning of time to the knowledge of Christ by showing them peace. Will you trust him in your storms? As, I, as I've seen in my life and many others, he is worthy to be trusted. He is able. He is a mighty God, a wonderful counselor. The Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. So all y'all could just pray with me right quick. Is that okay? Everybody please stand. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for calming me. For working within me. For working within these people in this church. Lord, I just ask that you would do a mighty work in us. That you would continue to show us ourselves. That we could die to ourselves. So that we could live in you. Let us be that voice that screams peace. That screams contentment. That screams love. That screams joy. And that screams kindness. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas time. We thank you for your son. We thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. We thank you so much for us being able to reconcile um, the world. That you've entrusted us with the opportunity to be the light, to be that peace. Lord, I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. We're going to.
take a moment to take communion. So if you didn't get a chance to grab one of these on your way in, these communion cups, and you would call yourself a Christian and would love to take communion with us, just raise your hand and Randy will give you one of these communion cups. If you're not a Christian and you're just checking things out, then just hang out with us because what this resembles and reflects is more important than the, the juice and the, and the wafer that are here. And listen, if you get a chance, you should look at the Rembrandt picture online. All you have to do is just Google Rembrandt Storm. Um, I, you know, ironically, that, that, pit, that painting was stolen 30 years ago. It's hanging on somebody's wall illegally. They've never found it. Um, but, and I, and I, it's not like I care about European art. I like it as much as I like, I don't know, cats or hockey or something that I don't really care about. But what's interesting about this painting is there, if you look at all the different characters in the boat, they're all responding to the storm differently. You've got one person working the oar as hard as they can. You have one person literally throwing up over the side of the boat. You have one that's praying to God. Even though Christ is right there in the boat, you have some that are panicking and you have some trying to wake Jesus up. Everyone does something different in the storm, don't they? And God is very good at stilling storms, is he not? That's why that's in the book of Mark, is to show us that God is sovereign and strong over even the scariest of storms. And that is not me to say, that's not me trying to say, I know all of you have storms. God will still your storm. Listen, he might not. He might not. But he is there with you in the midst of it, is he not? And he is very much in control, right? But the ultimate storm, the one that really matters, is the, the turbulence that we have inside with ourselves with others, and most radically with God himself. And Christ does still that storm, and it doesn't exist for us any longer. That's how good God is for us. And so we're going to take communion as a reflection of what God has done and as a celebration of what God has done as our Prince of Peace. I'm going to do this with one hand, but go ahead and pull the top back. There's two, there's two lids to this communion cup. One is for the wafer and the other is for the juice. And so just pray with me, and we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you for being sweet and kind to us, for stilling and speaking peace and commanding the storm in our lives to stop. Father, because we, we can't row hard enough. We can't recruit help. We can't recruit creation. We can't do anything to stop it. It's a turbulence that won't stop any other way besides a broken body of a king, of a counselor, of a father of a prince. So as we take this bread, we do so in remembrance of what you have done, and we also take it with the hope of what you're calling us to. So in your name and in your celebra in celebration of what you have done, we take this bread. And Father, we take the juice as well because it is emblematic of the blood of a king, the blood of a prince the blood of our dear Father, the blood of a wonder-working counselor. Lord, that you have done so much, that you have stretched your servanthood even unto death to stop what breaks us in half, that you are the better Jonah, that you didn't just speak calm to our storm, but you yourself were cast into our storm, feeling the brunt of it. You were tossed around in the waves. You were the one that bled out on the cross. You didn't just passively wave a wand. You didn't just bark a command at death and chaos and destruction. 
you gave your life into it for our benefit at your cost. And so we take this blood, not just as a remembrance of what you have done, but we also take it in hopes and in faith of the table with a better wine that's waiting for us in a different place. And so, Father, we thank you for being good and kind and gentle with us. We thank you for being so wonderful in your counsel. We thank you for being so mighty in your rule. We thank you for being so close and adoring as a father. We thank you for being so noble with how you bring peace into our lives. So, Lord, as we pray and as we worship, Lord, let us do so with a reflective heart. And I pray that your spirit would speak to us even in this moment, Lord, and show us where it is in our life we have the most turbulence that we are not trusting to you. Where is it that we, that we are unsettled, that the waves are tossing and spilling into the boat, and we are trying to stop the storm, and we are trying to, to, uh, to fix it all with our own might. We're the ones that are sick and scared. Where are we not trusting you? So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, and it's in your name that we pray.